Hi, it's Kaylee Bateman here for Mixing Light, and today I'm talking to Christian Gennay-Ritania. He's the senior colorist at DNEG. He's based in Montreal, and we know one another from working together a while ago. Very excited to have him here talking to me today about the kind of unknown world of visual effects coloring. He had a background prior to working for DNEG in all kinds of finishing color in different contexts. But since moving into visual effects color, he's become the senior colorist for DNEG and knows all of the workflows and all of the things. It's a quite a technical role uh, that also combines a lot of creativity and understanding of the workflow over the whole process. Um, so it's an absolute thrill to have you here today to explain this pretty pretty unknown area of coloring. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Kaylee. It's Those words are, well, flattering me <laughs> and they are, well, far from the reality sometimes. But yes, the VFX coloring world is something of a mystery for uh, a lot of people. Like you said, I was jumping ship from uh, finishing an online grading and uh, um, well, color correction if we want, uh, on different web series, TV series. I used to work in the public TV here and freelancing for various documentaries and um, co-productions and all kinds of things. When this opportunity <laughs> of going into the VFX world presented itself and, well, you know me a little bit, so... <laughs> I'm a little crazy and I jump, um, you know, an opportunity to learn different things and different aspects of our, our world of grading, if you want. So I took it. <laughs> little did I know what I jumped into. <laughs> That's right, because it is so unknown from the outside and you go, well, this will be interesting. Let's see. <laughs> and you've taken to it like an absolute fish to water and you really understand all of the technical aspects of the job in a way that I think some colorists go, well, I don't necessarily need to know that. I just need to know that it works. Whereas you you have kind of taken that color science and that workflow um, and you've really run with it. I mean, I was very excited, but I was a little bit worried about the technicalities the color science aspect of it. However, I like to get my, my teeth into the you know, details of what's going under the hood. Because in Resolve, we are lucky. Uh, if you properly set up your session and you know how to color manage your project the proper way, everything falls into places relatively well. That part was a little bit of a mystery because we... In a VFX company, we use a lot of Nuke and we use a lot of OCO configurations and we use uh, some integration with Resolve. But all those um, took a while to get our heads around some very specific color management, um, linear log. Yes, yes. You know, all those aspects of the image color space transformations, we have so many options. Yes. So that, that side actually, you know, after a few years, <laughs> um, now it's synced in and I really like it. I just want to ask the first question that I get asked all the time by people is, what is VFX coloring? What, what is it? 
I would say without hurting anyone's feelings, sometimes I associate it a little bit with the eye, but without all the intricate creative um, aspects of a DI first pass. So first and foremost, um, the FX grading is most important for balance and neutrals. Uh, so we call them balance grades or neutral grades inside of the FX world, because once all the plates are coming, be them in ACs, AP0, be them linear RE, etc., etc., they are getting this common space all the FX companies are working differently, but there is a kind of a consensus that we tend to work in this ACCG space, which is the equivalent of ACs in Resolve, but with some technical differences. So once we have this inside the space, obviously, like any any other shoot or you know film, TV series etc etc you have imbalances right because you had a few days with sunny days a few days with well less sunny days and in a sequence obviously the di process already went and balanced and did a creative look but since we are not working with those grades being baked into the xrs we receive well we need to start from scratch if you want. So we just have the various images. We just need to bring them in a in a common space if you want. Right, right. So so just to clarify, so you're saying you've got the rushes that have been shot and there might be lighting changes because of, you know, the sun coming in or going out and if you've got exteriors or even different angles, different lenses can have differences between them. And you take those rushes and you turn them into ACES CG. So you're linearizing them um, and giving giving those mapping those primaries to the ACES CG primaries, and that's handled sort of uh, you know in a way that's the same for everything. It's all kind of homogenized. If there are different camera formats, they all end up in the same space for a show, and then from there you need to balance them all and match them all so that they work together. So is is that roughly capturing the process there? That is that is exactly the in yeah. It captures the process. Because us coming from the eye, so from well the eye or final color or finishing color, um we don't have to deal with uh, what's being added in the backgrounds, you know, we just receive the final images if you want. Me being on the other side of the fence now in the VFX world, well, when all my friends were doing magic in comps and layout and creature and set extensions, whenever they are adding, let's say, some set extensions in the background, if we do not have those balanced and neutral images, well, they have to work more. They have to work harder to integrate the same asset if we want, so the same building or the same creature that's going to be presented in various angles. Um, so if we don't have the neutrals, then they have to work more to integrate their elements into the shots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the compositors then are going, um, I have my element, I have my creature, and I have my lighting pass, 
and that's been created sort of globally in a CG world. And so that's going to be the same everywhere, but, oh, my footage is different shot to shot. So by getting smoothing out those differences and, you know, utilising, do, do you pick like a, like a, like a hero shot or something and say like everything's going to match that one and and maybe they've done their look development or something on that master shot so it kind of getting everything else to match helps the composite. Exactly. You're opening a parenthesis there because you mentioned hero shot and you mentioned look development and uh, the way we work is the way we work in a grading session, right? So we I do like to pick a hero shot um, like we would do in a sequence, regular sequence, if you do the eye or if you start, you know, grading a sequence. Um, and that's usually a shot that includes, let's hope, more characters in that sequence. It's not a too wider of a shot. It's not too much of a close-up. Uh, and, you know, we start from there. Then the clients are giving us the, the primary grade so that the client look, if you want, that was uh, previously created in the eye, and we have those. And we always aim to go towards that direction just because I give you, a, well, a very general example. If the plates are super warm and super orangey, but the final client look is a very cold, very contrasty, very, very shadowy, contrasty, dense look, then there is no point for us to balance the sequence and go against that look so i don't want to go hip hyper warm if the final look is hyper blue so we can give and help the compositors and the other departments lighting and creature and layout to go towards that less saturated less contrasty image to help their work right so the the neutral and the balance then it's subjective is that right? Like you're cre- creative within that? Like you're not simply lining up red, green and blue and we're balanced? Well, it's that's what I thought at the beginning. I was like, well, this is fairly straightforward, right? A technical grade. So we have the Macbeth chart. Usually we have the gray balls and the, the shiny uh, light uh, for the lighting, the reflection balls. And I was like, that's pretty easy. We are just comparing three patches of gray. We are lining up the values and that's it. <laughs> Job done. Well, <laughs> little did I know it's not like that easy. And I'm saying it's not easy. It's fun because it introduces a creative aspect to it. So in some shows, um, yes, those patches are working perfectly nice and fine. All the cameras align and it's amazing and it's cool. However, our clients inside the VFX world are maybe not the external clients, but they are the VFX supervisor and the comp supervisor. So sometimes they have preferences. They, they know what they can do down the road or, you know, with the, the pixel manipulation that they are doing. So they are like, no, I don't like a technical balance. Push it towards whatever, the primary client look or give me a little bit more warmth. Because, you know, we always look for skin tones. We like pleasing skin tones. We always look for a common element in a shot. And 
in order to achieve that balance, sometimes it's not the character. Sometimes it's the car, the red car. Or we did a, well, famous movie and there were several cars <laughs> involved. So those needed to be very uh, matched and very close in the sequence because, well, they were building on top of that. So sometimes it can be a technical grade. Sometimes it can be a little bit more creative. So... I might That's jump in here and just say Christian is being very coy when he says a famous show. Um, and I should have possibly mentioned this during the introduction, but I'll mention it now. Um, if you want to see the kinds of shows that Christian's worked on, just check out his IMDb. They're all there. And have a look at what DNEG do. Um, it's the absolute gold standard work in visual effects, but we won't be discussing any shows today in detail, but most people have, have no idea what a VFX colorist does. Lots of people who ask me, what is this VFX coloring grading, you know? Um, yes, it involves this technical aspect, but what I really like is we always work in a big team, right? So um, even though we, I cannot show anything basically because we do not have the final ownership of the grading on that show, it is. It happens sometimes that we need to propose a creative uh, grade on that sequence because uh, it will better serve the work of the VFX artist. Obviously, we will never ever step against the created look or the defined look that was done in the eye with the DOP and the DI colorists. So we have to be very um, well careful about that. We can't just go wild, but that's where I find there is a fine, fine step. Yes, it is creative. Yes, it's very fine and you can't go crazy. And yet it can be fun because an example I can give, we did some colors on a trailer. And if I was not mistaken, I didn't compare pixel for pixel. But what I've seen, the first image on that trailer was what we proposed and of course, that creates a little bit of warm and fuzzy feeling. It's not just a credit. <laughs> you can see your images on the screen and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that creative side of it, you're part of the image development and the color development process. So the kinds of films that you work on might be in visual effects for a year or two years. And during that time, there might be parts of the DI going on. There might still be grades being revised even editorially. Um, but you are like the conduit in visual effects between these on-set colorists and the DI colorists and the editorial changes that might be happening. And you're kind of guiding that image and moving it through as the image starts to take shape. And I think you, you may see that mostly in sequences that have a lot of blue screens. Um, can you talk to me about grading blue screens? Because that's a real challenge. So grading blue screen and green screen, initially, I like to key the screen, the blue screen or the green screen out and put a gray patch in the back. So that helps me at least my eyes will not be tricked all the time by the gray green screen or the blue screen. And 
I can concentrate on the the faces, the skin tones, the objects, or whatever is in those green screens. Of course, we have the scopes or we have the histograms, but when you look at an image and that gray is in the background, it's also helping me if I grade on top of it. Um, well, it tells me this gray looks a little bit tinted. You're doing something. Back off, you know. So that's just me. So I brought this in the VFX world whenever I show um, some of the sequences with the blue screen, green screens. Um, and they are like, yes, can you tweak a little bit this? Or can we tweak a little bit this? And we're like, the lighting is a little bit different. We have a white shot. We have a close-up. Let's put this gray background in the background and let's compare then. Because a lot of people are, well, they are aware, but it's in conscious, it's subconscious, right? They're looking at the images. They're like, I feel like this is like this. When you take that green and blue screen away, the images are falling into the place they are supposed to be. That's right. And even when you know that because our eyes white balance after time, even though you know that that's happening, you can't really do anything about it. So the longer that you look at a blue screen, the more you're going to adjust for the blue. And so you're going to um, see it more neutral and then that's going to affect the the warmth or the coolness of the shot quite dramatically. But like you say, once you take that out and when you put in that, that, um, that gray, are you looking at an 18% gray? Are you looking at a really like that classic neutral patch, right? I'm trying to put the 18, well, actually the 50, yeah, the 18% gray, which is 50 usually on the scopes. So yes, uh, 18% in linear. (laughs) 50 on the <laughs> that is that is it. Uh, I try to put that because that's, I would say that's the gray patch that we are mostly used to, and it gets ingrained in your well in your I can't say mechanical memory I can say visual memory, <laughs> but adding that in there it just um, it's an ease of mind for the VFX soups com soups because they can see it in a more neutral environment 30 seconds or more you're just looking at an image your eyes are balancing like they are (laughs) they're tricking you basically so that's that's why the gray that's why i always say um let's have a look at the scopes let's help let's have a look at the histogram at some point because it's easy to get carried away in the little values in the black the little values in the white the little values here we can measure so many things now in Nuke or in Baselight and even Resolve, right? But sometimes is a perception and sometimes um, it's, well, it's a tricky, <laughs> it's a tricky color. Um, the eye is tricked actually by the surrounding colors into thinking that this is, well, this is not what you actually see. Yeah, I have a rule that I live by even in a really time-sensitive context in DI that if you make a really crazy decision at 5 p.m., it's probably the wrong one. (laughs) You know, the morning is the time when you've got the fresh eyes. (laughs) So do you have any other tricks that you use for that sort of material? Because I'm familiar with, um, you know, if I'm trying to get a balance on a shot and it's really difficult, sometimes I'll flick, flip it into black and white 
And I do that in a finishing color context um, just to reset my eyes. After I come back out of black and white, I see the colors as they are again for, for at least a moment and I can trust that moment. Um, it's also really good for gauging contrast, of course. Um, do you have any other little tricks that you might be able to share with us? <laughs> that's that's the best trick that I was taught by a colorist as well. Um, the story goes, uh, when you balance a sequence, you can try and do the first pass in black and white. You're going to get your contrast there. And especially when we balance, um, to go back a little bit to a technical step, these balance neutrals in Nuke or however we use it, we can't have access to all the operators we usually have in a grading resolve. Good point, good point. So it's a little bit limitative, but like we usually, usually say, from, from, uh, you know, from a limitative point of view, it, gets, it pushes you to find, just from RGB balancing, a point where everything meets in the middle. So even if you don't have access to contrast, saturation, etc., etc., it pushes you to force yourself. And the black and white um, pass, that's a good pass. If we have very complicated sequences, I like to put them in black and white, and I like to see if my contrast levels are there. Um, and then another... Um, well, another, except the wipes that we can do between the images, that's, well, of course, comparing to the hero shots all the time and not forgetting the hero shots that we picked in the beginning, which happened to me on a few cases, and we <laughs> continued with a different shot, so you are just slightly, um, well, going on a sideline, just a tiny bit still. But it it is, it is important, though, um, I think even in Final Colour, when you pick your heroes you continue to go back to the same reference because every shot's going to have a small amount of difference between them. You can't help that, right? But you're saying how, like, the importance is to go back to that first initial chosen hero, right? Always. <laughs> Otherwise you're introducing a small amount of difference every time you refer. Absolutely. It's the, this is how I learned in the beginning when I was in the VFX world, right? Because of the limitations of the operators we use, either in Nuke or in Resolve, you just have to stick to that hero shot because it is so easy with, with the limitations to introduce a slightly, well, a tint, right? Somewhere. It doesn't, it doesn't matter which direction it is. And then you have a, you have a new shot and it's really nice and you, 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 you're in a very good spot, in a very good position, and you like that shot, and you're like, oh, from now on, I'm just going to check with this shot. Well, no, you, we should always go back to the hero, at least, you know, from a time to time, like more often than less, go back to the hero shot. We can compare between, well, the new one that we like, but the hero, you know, it's the Bible, and it helps us not to diverge too much from the center line especially when you're talking about sequences and films like when dean eggs the main vendor for a film like you might be dealing with correct me if i'm wrong but like thousands of shots and because all those sequences in a movie they can be different places different locations even if we come back to them time of days so it's very important not to um say these are similar angles 
I'm going to refer to the same hero from the other sequence because that was nice because maybe that was in the new sequence. It's a different time of day. The intention is different. So all the tiny details (laughs) are becoming very important when you can't rely on our favorite tools, secondaries. (laughs) Let's put a little vignette there. Let's do a hue shift. (laughs) Please, please, yes, please talk to me about this. So, so you, you've mentioned having a very particular tool set of, of operators. Can you tell me what those operators are? Most of the VFX companies, I would say, they work with the standard CDL SOP values, slope, offset, and power. That's the standard uh, trans means of transportation of exchange of the grades between DI and the VFX houses. That was the case. Mm. And there's and there's I think a few reasons for that, right? And I just want to jump in and explain something here. So that was a standard that was put together by the ASC um, early on, and that was done between a collaboration with color scientists and DPs. When when you were moving from film to digital, um, to talk about what kinds of parameters colorists and especially dailies colorists should have, like what how much control they should have over the images, and one of the reasons why that's such an elegant system is that you can do a lot with those ten values. You get three for uh, slope, three for offset, three for power and then one more for saturation which leads you to 10 values um you can do a lot with that like it's really powerful but it's still simple enough for you to be able to look at and say oh i can see from these 10 numbers what's changed in this shot like a dp might look at it and say oh they've really had to push that a lot um maybe my balances are off or oh they haven't moved that much it must be we're we're pretty well balanced in the camera um, and then one of the cool things for VFX is that it's mathematically accurate. So you can go forwards and backwards, you can add and remove, and you don't, it's, it's lossless. Is that right? You're not losing? I think the my understanding of the mathematic behind it, and I may be wrong, but my color science friends could correct us, it's, it's a easy, simple enough operator that does not require a lot of power, machine power, if you want, to apply it in the quick times in the, you know, compared to a cube, for example. And and a cube is also potentially a lossy, compressed, destructive operation, right? Like 1D, maybe not, but 3D, definitely. Exactly. So I think the, the main consensus was CDLs in the SOP values uh, were the simplest tool with a broad stroke, simple enough but powerful enough to give you looks and grades that are or can be powerful. Um, I can give you an example <laughs> where I had the chance at the beginning of the project to talk to the colorist that was on the final side. And that's one of the perks that sometimes we may have so we can talk to the final colorist and actually discussing how 
CDLs compared to a full power base light or resolve grade differs and how sometimes a CDL grade is a very good tool, an effective one, and sometimes it's maybe not the best tool because it has limits. And in the, the case we were discussing, it was a film film, so film stock uh, project. And to get the DOP looks with a CDL, that was, well, maybe not possible. So they decided to go, you know, with a different uh, base light or resolve full grade. But for the most projects, when um, I would say everything is well thought from the beginning and planned and the, the show lots are in place and used and the DI process has time and uh, to go through the sequences, a CDL does a great job. In, in that case, it sounds as though they were trying to achieve things that a primary grade couldn't necessarily do, right? Like, you know... Perhaps you would need curves, secondaries, you know, operations that aren't so easily invertible or perhaps impossible to invert. And one of the important things about, you know, where VFX sits in the pipeline is you don't want to be doing something that's going to change the look of the plate because when you deliver to DI, is it, it no, no colour choices should be baked in, should they? Absolutely. So the, 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 most, uh, the most important thing that, well, sometimes there are exceptions to the rules, but we should never uh, grade the plates per se, unless it's, you know, adjustments or tiny adjustments to the uh, hue, a specific hue or, you know. But if we are talking about grades and general grades applied over the whole image, then we are coming into play. So we're using the client ones or we are proposing new ones but those are never destructive always metadata aren't they they're never in the xrs they're always given as a metadata so when you are in the eye you just apply them and you have the same result as you you've seen before in the eye with the effects added and the the difference is inherent to what I mentioned before, smoke, atmosphere, rays, uh, tiny hue shifts in costumes to maintain the continuity of the sequence, etc., etc. But never baking. <laughs> I mean, that's that's um, an amazing feat of color science to be able to visualize and do so much whilst keeping everything pristine and protecting the negative like that. Like that's that's incredible workflow. <laughs> and I would say to move the CDL discussion a little bit further, <clears throat> because we have the luxury of going in resolve, <laughs> um, in some shows, we can even propose a um, cube or an LMT. In the general term of an LMT, we, I'm not necessarily referring to the ACES LMT, but just to give a color, trans a, a, a color tweak, if you want, that is more complex than a CDL that will be applied in the, the, the final looks of the client QuickTimes, and we can help with that uh, as well. So 
that's also an exciting thing that we can do um, to help the, the comp work, actually. That's great. Sell the shots. So, <laughs> so when you're talking about LMT, that raises a really good point. So one of the things that we haven't explicitly mentioned is um, when you're working in visual effects, you aren't working display referred. Um, so what you see is what you get, but only if you've got the correct um, OCIO config and everything, or, you know, the color science journey is correct, then what you see is what you get, but it is scene referred. So um, using an LMT, you know, you're not just, you're not um, baking in any kind of display transform in that process at all. Exactly. That's exactly what I, I mean. Um, in a, uh, let's say in a simplified quote unquote <laughs> workflow, ACEs, let's pick ACEs, um, the, the display transform, which is at the end, it, it happens because it's by default included in the OCIO setup. I mean, if it's not ACEs and if it's a different uh, um, color gamut we work in, that's also, it can be adapted. OCO is very, uh, very malleable as a system. However, for ACEs, uh, where the LMT concept came, um, that cube that we can export from Resolve and get it back in the pipeline in the VFX world, it does not include the display tone curve. So never, uh, we are not double lutting, we are not uh, applying uh, contrast and uh, curves that are not supposed to be there. So we are just including color decisions, but more complex color decisions into a cube never including the display uh, tone curve so and never baking into the xr is just for display reasons if we want um and the the easy side of that is let's say in a vfx environment some people are going to see things on their um calibrated monitor whether it's 709 whether it's srgb uh, some people will see things in a in a cinema room, so they would be a P3. Um, and because that LMT is supposed to live inside the ACES uh, system, if you want, all the the display transforms at the end are taken care of by the OCO. So you can see the same thing, and you can be confident that what you're seeing in a cinema room and what you're seeing on a different display, well. If all the settings and the color setups in Resolve are properly set up, then you are confident that what you see is what you will get. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, it's 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 amazingly powerful and it kind of gives you the best of both worlds because you can preview, you know, decisions that were made on set and you can preview decisions that are being made in the DI. Um, and you can see how the visual effects are going to look through those color processes and know with certainty that things are translating the way that the artists intended um, and the visual effects supervisors intended um, and people are, people are then like the clients able to see things in a way that's familiar to them. They don't have to look at log images. Um, they're going to know, you know, that the monster or whatever has been added to the frame 
is actually, you know, showing up. <laughs> and when yes. you pull a black down, it's not going to disappear. <laughs> One of the <laughs> important aspects is uh, that Ace is brought to the game is creatures and textures. Um, in some shows, the final creative look of the show, right, is strong, powerful, and those artists, before the end of the comps, they, they would need a neutral environment to work in. So by being able with, to work under different views, um, that helps them. So the textures, and like you mentioned, the monster is green. Well, it needs to be green, but under the client look, it might be a little bit different. So they, might, they need to be aware of that so they can adjust uh, textures and skin, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a little bit like it reminds me of hair and makeup tests, but for elements that you're creating from scratch, right? Because you do your hair and makeup test to make sure that everything's translating, you know, even if it was film, oh, well, that, you know, we can't put them in that red jumper because that doesn't work well when you print it to that stock or whatever. Um, so it's really that that print aspect of of the pipeline that you get to preview but then you can take it right off again and you can do it with a click instead of a chemical process it's pretty cool um can you tell me about oh there's so many things to cover with visual effects grading but can you tell me a little bit about what what would be your process of dealing with a challenging location with a lot of um variable lighting the changes or differences that's again comes and starts with me chatting with the vfx supervisor or the comp supervisor or both and they are trying to explain us what are you trying to achieve with the final shots because i'm not gonna i'm not seeing those until the work is advanced so if we have just a beach uh <laughs> and things happening on that beach, uh, shot in different days, uh, different um, weather situations. I have no idea uh, if we're keeping the sky, if we're replacing the sky, if it's important to keep the sky matching or <clears throat> uh, they are now ignore that we're going to do sky replacement for all the shots. Do not take it into account. Let's pick a hero shot. And let's see what's important. Uh, the horse, the car, the um, obviously the main characters, but that goes without saying. Um, but then we're going into the challenge that you mentioned. The sand is going to look different because, or if it's not sand, it's a better example. Snow, grading snow, we all love it. So... <laughs> um, that's when it comes um, into account hero shot. And then I'm saying, what is our tolerance? So if we are to make the snow or the sand um, slightly, it falls under slightly greenish or slightly magenta. I don't personally like slightly magenta in Lots of I think a lot of colorists are not liking anything slightly magenta. <laughs> so um, we decide on that, and then we're trying to match everything 
the best we can within that tolerance. So <clears throat> is it perfect? No. <laughs> it's such a good point that you raise. Yeah, I, I, I love that you raise the point of, you know, you have to know what work is being done on these plates because when you're doing a final colour, everything that is in the plate is on screen. When you're doing visual effects colour, these people are so clever, these visual effects artists are so incredibly clever, they could be doing anything to these shots. So you really need to know, like you say, am I going to sit here and waste 20 hours matching skies and then find out that they're throwing those skies away, you know, because it's actually set on Pluto and there's going to be, you know, a star field there instead. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Like if I go back to the example of the snow or the sand, maybe um, that will not even stay in the reality parameters. So um, even if I do match them, but then that turns to be a foreign planet, like you mentioned, or a fantastic uh, land, (laughs) Um, everything will be practically hue-shifted and uh, the the clouds will be green or whoever. We don't know. So that's why I find it important if we have that discussion at the beginning with odd situations, what is going to be done in those shots and I don't need to know the details in the utmost details, but at least the general idea so we can then match and grade to help them deliver them the, the shots with least effort. Well, least effort. They always put a lot of effort into those to look magic like they do. But it's it's about making that work flow efficient for them exactly. and so that they can then focus on the things that are really important to their department. So you're you're cutting that part of the effort out ideally for them. <clears throat> um, even though every compositor that I've ever met is an incredible colorist as well because they just have that eye. It's part of compositing. Um, you know, it's like having another colorist as a client. <laughs> it's, it describes exactly the situations because these artists are integrating well, you know, worlds in those shots. And they have to they have to be extremely, extremely careful about the tiny shadows, the tiny details, the tiny highlights, the speculars, everything um that they add to a shot needs to be matching and integrating. And yes, the that requires an eye for uh well a shadow in the middle of the day is not the same shadow as uh morning or a shadow in the evening. So my the way i see our work even if it's you know in the in the shadow and in the background it's to support their decisions and to make their decisions easier and i find that the fact that uh, some vfx companies have these roles um proves that well it's it's not just an extra layer of let's grade or let's do things it proves that, you know, they are, well, a supportive, important role. That's right. That's right. Because that kind of work that you're doing there, that, that visual effects colouring, in a company that doesn't have a dedicated colourist, 
that work, if I understand correctly, would be done by compositors? That would fall to compositive supervisors? or I think that's the general consensus. In some other companies, the compositor supervisors are taking over those uh, roles. Um, and some of the compositor or the lead compositors probably as well, because they do have an eye for color. Whenever some people are coming into our company and they find out that there is a dedicated department and people taking care of those things, I feel a relief. And I feel um, the, not just because they can't do it, because obviously they can, but the, the amount of work these people do I know, and the amount of... Mountains. Um, exactly. The pixels they need to move. If someone with an eye for this takes care of the sequences... I think it's, that's what I hear. I think it's a very, a very big relief for them to trust us. Uh, oh, absolutely. And whether it's done by a comp soup or a lead compositor or by the colour department, I think what you all have in common is that you don't work on individual shots the way that an artist would be. Um because you've mentioned the hero shot and matching, you need to be in the same way that you are in DI across the whole sequence and across the narrative intention in a way as well. Towards the end of the project, the fact that one person has access to the whole sequence as opposed to the artist trying to match to hero shots um, that has an advantage, obviously, because one pair of eyes sees the whole sequence. Um, we can take decisions based on that. So before that gets sent and approved by the client as a final, final shot, when we have to do some tweaks, seeing a sequence is of a giant help, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you, so you, you see initially when you check the client grades, that everything from a quality control perspective is working. But then towards the end of the process, you can also, if necessary or if you're asked to, make other adjustments to make sure that if there is a change between the lighting and shots, that it can be dealt with by grade as opposed to a comp change. Exactly. And, and obviously that like keeping that internal is is good for you know efficiency and it creates less work for other people in other departments um it doesn't have to go for a check in di because you can check it your with your colorist knowledge yeah we we say that you know we never step onto the di ownership of the grades of course but if we can help them start in a better position, then we can, and with minor nudging and adjustments, then I, I don't think that you or I, as a final colorist, would get that, would be extremely mad at things because it would simplify and, you know, um, make more efficient your work in refining and, you know, carving more details of the images. So that's right. And because each, each, process each part of the process is available 
you could even say, well, I just need to see the difference between the onset grade and what came out of VFX. Oh, they've had to darken it a bit. I see. Or, oh, look, they warmed it up. Okay, I get it. You know, it's just another visualization and another step in that, in the thought process that shapes the image. And you make that available in a way that is take it or leave it. Exactly. It's, I would say, we're always, we're always on the same side supporting the creative visions of the, well, the director, obviously, and the DOP, but the VFX supervisor that is supporting them in his own role. And we are there to make his life easier as well. So um, it's just, like we say, tiny adjustments that are building up to this final product, which is usually and hopefully amazing and great and colorful and magic. <laughs> because the FX world does work with mainly... Um, well, fantastic science fiction and sometimes less visible effects. And that's also a, a world where they they are invisible effects. And that is also a, a challenge sometimes. Then every project comes with a, a different aesthetic and it comes with a different setting, uh, different cameras, different camera used, uh, different color sciences if you want. But the... The quality and the perfection on some wide shots shot on an island somewhere <laughs> um, is just mind-blowing. Uh, and you can see the, the, the quality and the effort that was put into those. So I'm trying not to do anything to diminish that. <laughs> yes, yes, I know exactly what you mean. Like sometimes the job is to not destroy how gorgeous it looks. <laughs> And do as little as you can get away with doing because it's it's there. And um, I think something that you just mentioned that I'd love to hear a tiny little bit more about is um, the different workflows. And another great thing about being a visual effects colorist um, and in your position is that you would get to understand a lot of different workflows. That was one of the things that getting an understanding of the pipelines was one of my, well, curiosities, if you want. So getting or reading all the VFX specs from the shows um, and understanding we are bringing all the cameras into the common space and we decide that for the VFX uh, vendors, we are giving ACES AP0. Or we are, which is which is amazing because well, most of the houses will work ACG. So the transformation between ACES AP0 as a transport gamut, if we want, uh, to ACCG is straightforward. Well, we can say straightforward. <laughs> it's taken care of the OCO easily when you're doing it right. Uh, we can replicate it in results very easily without you know too much. Uh, complication if you want. Um, other shows um, decided that each camera would be treated in its own color space. So red would be treated as red, RE would be treated as RE, etc. etc. Uh, and that um, adds to the challenges when we receive the images. We need to be aware of those so when our departments are ingesting the images, well, 
you know, color science needs to state that very clear for them. Be aware that some cameras are require different treatments because otherwise we get differences and we don't know where and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So, mm. I think what it really highlights for me is that the way that color is dealt with when you've got people working linearly and you know lighting working in the closest way to optical as possible because you're creating effects even if they're not um, invisible effects they still need to be extremely realistic and believable effects Um, so you're working in these color spaces that can deal with that and can make that translate on screen everyone's got their own preferred way of doing it you need that pipeline to be complex and then someone throws in another camera format at you and you're like that's expanding the complexity again but it's like almost exponentially uh, the the possibilities are infinite like we say <laughs> um that's why i sometimes most of the times, actually, I look at my color science colleagues and I'm like, wow, you guys, the the infinite possibilities and complexities you guys deal with. Uh, we say that uh, as a VFX colorist in, the, in a VFX companies, we have to deal with technical and creative aspects, but they have to make sure that all these color transformations and decisions are working for a myriad of softwares right because lighting and layout and comp and uh, creature and so many so many softwares and they need to well make them work so um so the pipeline is seamless and it's invisible if we want to the artists right because they don't need to they need to concentrate on their creative work and not have to deal with uh, well technicalities or glitches and etc cetera, etc cetera. so um yeah, kudos those, those, to them i know <laughs> i know there needs to be like a world color scientist day where we can all give them a bunch of flowers and shake their hands and thank them because um you know when you work with a color scientist you realize just how how much you rely on them <laughs> Absolutely. I, like you mentioned, I like a technical challenge or a technical knowledge acquisition. And I like to read some of those color science documents. But I'm like, when we come to equations and fractions and probabilities and uh, double integrals and mathematics, even if I study them in school, I'm like, you guys, kudos. I leave this to you because... (laughs) (laughs) yes and I reckon that like that narrow and specialized understanding that every person has in the pipeline of a visual effects show is what makes them capable of creating these incredible images because there's they're just beyond like so many films that you work on I would watch with my jaw absolutely on the ground going, how is that possible? And it's, I think, because in that company you have so many giant brains that are so good at their island and there is that teamwork, that network of trust that, you know, after years working on something, it does come together. 
and it Absolutely. does look that good. I can't name the names of the shows, but I had the chance to meet the visual effects supervisors on those highly visible projects. Um, and just to have access to their mind, how do they plan and how do they support the director to plan those sequences? Uh, for me, just that, without going into details, was joy, pure joy. How did you come up with this kind of rigging of sets meets visual effects meets real effects? Um, you know, we are all exposed to the making offs of these movies today, but seeing them from the inside sometimes is mind blowing. Um, like, yeah, the the magic and the the way they can push the boundaries of these movies is just amazing. I, I'm I'm so so grateful for you sharing this insight with 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 us um, and with me and with Mixing Light and I just I, I'm beyond impressed with what you guys can do and I think you have a very enviable position. And for anyone who didn't know what visual effects colouring was before and is now uh, aware of it, it's on your radar. Um, these roles do exist in big companies and they bring more than you would think in terms of the joy of, of being involved in these major productions. Well, you summed it, you summed it up actually very nicely. I think of us, VFX colorist, as, um, you know, the added value to the efficiency of the work for the comps and the other departments. And also, I would not lie. I mean, I would lie if I would say that working on those high-end images is not cool. <laughs> <laughs> Plainly said like this, you know, because we... We all did the, the advertising, the TV commercials, the other projects. And when I started the VFX role, I was really unsure. I was unsure. Uh, what am I getting into? Am I going to be up to the, the standard or the, my experience would be um, helping or not? Would I have to start from scratch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And well, it turned out, like you mentioned, some of my and our uh, baggage helps a lot and you get to learn and touch amazing images on the way. So win-win. <laughs> what an absolute treat for you and what a treat for me to get to speak to you today. Um, thank you so much for joining us and I cannot wait to see the next film with, with the Christian's magic VFX colour on it. I'm sure it's going to be another big one. And um, hopefully I'll get to speak to you again and find out more about what you do. But for now, this has been Kaylee Bateman for Mixing Light.